Good evening. Good to be with all of you tonight. Glad to see the number who come out. I'm not making any accusation, but y'all aren't fair weather Christians. You came out in this rain tonight. Isn't that wonderful? I think the Lord's pleased. Uh, really thankful that God has sent y'all some rain. I know we did, we've been without it a long time in Indiana where I'm from, and it was, we were down about seven and a half inches in the little town I live in. God sent in us rain about three or four weeks ago, and we've had a lot of it, but we still need a little more. And if you come from agrarian backgrounds and farming, that means something to you. You feel for farmers who, uh, that's their topic subject. That's what they're concerned about, trying to make a livelihood and feed others. And, uh, you know, the wonderful thing about a good farmer, he's not just interested in his own welfare. The ones that are really worth their weight love to feed people. They know they do an important job. Matter of fact, we've got a farmer in our community. He makes it a point to grow a lot of good sweet corn in the summer. And he sells it for $5 for five ears in a bushel. Puts them in a bag. You come pick them up. It's a whole trailer load. You get there. You get the best ones first. He does that. He loses money on that. But he does that to bless his community. God's blessed him. And I, I appreciate people like that who think that way. And having said that, um, our sermons that the Lord's been leading us through the last few weeks and, and what God has put on my heart, I ask you to help pray for me tonight that I would continue in what he's displayed for me, that I won't make a misstep. I don't want to wear you, but uh, you're going to see that there's a theme there the Lord's put in my heart to steal something in our heart. And it's not that I don't see it in you. I do. I hear it in your testimonies. I, I hear it in your prayer requests. You know it. You understand it. That makes me know that you know what the work of the gospel is and how God does it. And you know it's beyond our human capability. It's not, it's not within our power. It's not within our hand. And yet, we struggle with it every day. And I think full for what Brother Ben said already tonight, because he helped me put some things out of the way, trying to, excuse me, put all this together. But uh, we're falling. We're just completely falling. Our greatest prophets contended with it continually. Uh, at one point in 1 Kings, before we got to the event we read last night, God asked Elijah, will you always lent between two sides? What were the sides? His opinion and God's opinion. God's knowledge and what our lacking in understanding is. And we addressed that pretty well last night. But I want you to know uh, a little bit, and if you'd like to turn with me, we're going to be in, in the book of Romans tonight for a little bit, in the seventh chapter, and I want to highlight uh, two verses with you tonight, the Lord's help. Um, I may not have gotten this right. I may have myself off already. I looked at it earlier, but I may have, oh, here we go. Oh, here we go. So Paul uh, was seemingly always trying to teach people what a spiritual life was, the very thing that your pastor keeps saying, that God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. He operates on a spiritual level. Uh, their good brethren who had come from Jerusalem and were Jews still wanted to enforce and inflict, if you want to say, their ideas of the law upon the minds and hearts of the Christians in the areas of Rome and Corinth and around the world where Paul had been teaching. And so Paul was always trying to reconcile the two together and teach them about the freedom that they had 
in the law of Christ, but yet at the same time to give respect to those things of holiness of God that he desired of us, that we chose and walked in those paths of truth and righteousness. And what walking into the spirit of the Lord really looked like. And yet Paul, for all his great success, and even for him saying that he had accomplished more than all the other apostles, struggled with this mightily. And it seems that his real purpose and intention was to bring us to an understanding of what spiritual worship looks like. In our personal life, in our churches, how we uh, go about in our life, in our communities, in our nation, and what we are hoping to instill in others. And folks, it humbles us. That's the only way it can be accomplished is we're looking from a place of humility. I'm not going to read through the whole chapter, but I just want to highlight on two verses in the seventh chapter of Romans, the 24th and the 25th. We may jump up a little bit further. Let's do the 22nd. Seventh chapter of Romans. I hope this changes your thought about this verse a little bit tonight. It's something that's wrote in my mind all week. I talked to one of my elderly brethren that is not doing well, and he knows he doesn't have very long. And he told me he had been dwelling in these verses this week. It made me love him all the more. Because I know he's going out with the right mind. A spiritual mind toward the Lord. You would think that he would feel like he could lay his burdens down at this point. But he still knows there's a work of the Spirit to be done in him until he takes his last breath. When we take our last breath, many of our songs that we sing and hymns that we love talks about us laying down these trials and these troubles and this veil of tears. And the reason is no longer will we be fighting the battle of this flesh to bring it into subjection to Christ. So we read, 22nd verse, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. We'll pause there for a minute. So the delight is not of this flesh. The type of law that he's talking about is a true spiritual law, something that delights in the inward man, the eternal man, the spirit man. There's a lot of confusion by a lot between our mind and our heart and our soul and our spirit. But simply, I think I can explain it to you this way. That thing which God made eternal after his image is eternal. It lives forever. Whether you are in Christ with eternal life promised to you in heaven and bliss, or whether you reject God and you still have eternal, but you don't have eternal life, you have eternal death. That's what you have. So there's no escape for any of us. We all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and he will declare the works that have been done either in our flesh, which could be rejection of him, or falsely worshiping him, or true submission and faith and belief in him by the work of Jesus Christ. If you think, I'm just going to make a proclamation today to do right and be right, 
You can't come that way. It's a work of the Spirit. God is a spirit, and He is entertaining that spirit man in you, the deepest recesses of you in eternity. You may have never felt any obligation or need toward God. I understand that. But I pray that you are serious, that you are attentive, that you are respectable for this reason. I want you to be prepared when God knocks on your heart and he draws you and you hear his voice for the same time, calling you to be his witness. I want you to know he already loves you with an eternal love. He's already purposed and desired that you would be his. There is no excuse for any of us. John 3.16, very familiar, most quoted scripture in the world for a long time. Now it's become something else about self-righteousness. But John 3.16 is about the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that none should perish. Did you hear that? That none should perish, but all should come to newness of life. Eternal life. Life eternal or life unlimited. And that's what he offers you. He wants you to receive it. You can't take it. You can't proclaim it. He has to give it to you tonight. But after we have that promise in him, and we really in our spirit man can delight in the law of God. Why can we delight in the law of God? Because we have no way to perform the law of God. We are not righteous. But that spirit man, he has imputed his righteousness and his holiness so that we stand before the almighty God, his father, justified. By the blood of Jesus Christ. And so that part of our man can delight in the law of God because we have fulfilled it in Christ. We'll be able to stand before him in eternity. And when he judges us, he will not see our failure, but he will see his son and his blood applied upon us and our trust in him. And he will say, you're mine. You're mine. But the Bible also tells us there will be many who proclaim him in the last day and who will come to him in the judgment and say, well, Lord, Lord, have I not done many things in your name? Have I not done many good works for you? And he'll say, depart from me, you worker iniquity. Why? Because they never trusted in Jesus Christ. They did it by their own work. As the picture of Abel and Cain in the Garden of Eden, I know your pastor already mentioned that this weekend. Abel brought an acceptable sacrifice. One, it was of the spirit of his true heart, accepted before God, and it was accepted of God, but that of Cain was not, because it was of his flesh. Which do you have to bring before God tonight? Which is yours? Answer honestly. If you have the gift that is acceptable to God, he has made you acceptable to him, and you know that you are his child, and you have that promise and that assurance through your life, even though you fail, even though you may uh, walk away, even though you may backslide, even though you may sin horrendously, you're his child. He loves you. You're his beloved. You may bear some consequences, as David did for our sin, but you're still his, and he is faithful to you. It goes on to say, But I see another law in my members, Warring against the law of my mind. So that's talking about this spiritual mind that we have in Christ, this relationship we have with him. We have many voices in the world that call to us. 
but we also have a throne of life in us, I like to call it. We have a place that is only a place where God is to reside. But we can push him away and not invite him to sit on that throne of our life. And why do I call it? Because there is no other Lord or Master than Jesus Christ and his Heavenly Father in our life. We have to give him that place. But he resides it because of his righteousness, not because of ours. Not because of our decision alone, but because of his mercy toward us. After our salvation, we make that choice every day. Paul said, I die daily. What he was talking about, he's putting aside his fleshly, natural man, trying to submit him before self to the all-Lord to help him to reside in the mind of Christ, in the spirit of Christ, in the voice of God. Now, Satan comes along very quickly, just like he did Eve in the garden. And he says, Eve... If you go eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you can be like God. And he enticed her with those words because there was nothing greater to her than her God. And he made her believe that she could be in some level or way equivalent to the gifts that he had. And she sinned. And she caused Adam to sin. Adam chose of his own volition. But ever since then, Satan has been trying to persuade us that we can be equal to God. That our desire and our wants and our knowledge is equal to his. And we set him square in our life upon that throne. But you know how he persuades us to do that? He says to us, he says to us, you can sit there. You can have it your own way. Did you hear that? You can have it your own way. You can live your life according to your pleasure, to your edict, to your thinking, to your selfishness. Matter of fact, you can deny God altogether and give him no room, no obedience in your life whatsoever. And folks, that's what he does. He persuades us to do that as his people if he can every day. We don't even realize how sly and sneaky he can be. He says, well, you know, you really don't need to do that today. Uh, You know, I know you really want to go do this. I know you really want to go play your video games or go see a movie or, or, or work an extra four hours tonight on overtime for some extra money when God's bidding you all the time to serve him. Y'all know that feeling in your life? Do you understand that? And Paul was still living with this misery his whole life. With all the great work he did, he was always having to bring himself into subjection. Even toward the end of his life, as he's speaking to the church here at Rome, he's illustrating to them this battle that must go on, that must be identified, and that we must see ourselves the way we really are in the light of God, even with his holiness applied to our eternal soul. And he writes this, and it's poignant in the 24th verse of the 7th chapter of Romans. O wretched man that I am. He felt the full weight of his sin and his nature and his flesh. For all the great works God had done in him, he was dejected to where he still was in the state of this flesh, trying to become before God. 
Folks, the moment we think we've arrived and we've conquered this flesh and we are righteous in our own standing or we have correct thinking in our own mind, we have fooled ourselves and we have thrown ourselves upon the throne and we have denied God. As we read about Elijah, as faithful as he was and the things that God performed in him were so miraculous last night, he still valued his own mind and his own opinion. He thought, God, you should have vanquished all this and you should have returned the nation of Israel to holiness immediately. I don't like how long it's taking for you to do your work. Brother Ben brought out better last night than I did about we need to reside and be content in the work and spirit of God, not looking at the effect but abiding in the still small voice of assurance that we are following his purpose and his will in our life. Now, having said that, it's not always pleasant. It's not always easy. A lot of times it takes a lot of patience over a lot of years, a long time. But we have assurances when we abide in that God knows our works, and he tells us they do follow us. Those prayers that these sainted mothers and grandmothers that we've talked about and grandparents that have passed on, and I think I mentioned this tonight, their good works in Christ still live on. They may have had their faults, they may have had their failures, but those things that are in Christ are still following after them. And they are into your generation and the generation next. And I know my grandparents, as faithful as they were to pray for their family, they prayed for our lives and our progeny that we continue on. One of the most beautiful things that parents can do is begin praying for their children before they're even married and for the spouse that they will have and for the children they will have, that they have holy lives and, and they be guarded in their mind and a hedge built around them that they can honor God and be blessed no matter what that looks like to the world. Not about education and money and prominence, but pleasing God and being in the Lord. And folks, that is our legacy. That's what we have to hand on to the next generation in faithfulness to God. He remembers those things. My grandmother, one of my dearest memories, and I know I talk about them a lot, but folks, they were prominent in my life, in my development as a young man. We should be that to others. We should strive for that and desire that. And she didn't do it for effect, but I would sit next to her. I wanted to sit next to her in prayer when we would go to pray during the service. And I would listen to her. And she would start off with the eldest, which is my cousin Sandy, and then my name next. And I would watch her call down every one of her grandchildren in prayer before God faithfully. Do you know what? Faith and assurance that brought in my heart that there was a God that she loved that knew her and he could know me. That makes a big difference when we raise our children in church, when we bring them, when we convince them that God loves us and he works in our life and there's a spiritual element to our life that they see. They may not understand it. They may even come commonplace to them in a way. But folks, when the saints of God abide in the spirit, do you not think they do not feel the spirit the same way we do? Not as the children of God, but recognizing the power in his presence. Oh, I do. <laughs> I had a church where we had some little old women from back in the old generation, and they would get happy in the Lord, and they would shout, and it would just send shivers down your spine. Every hair on your body would stand up, and you'd know, oh, 
Something special is going on. The Lord's entered the house. We would go on playing with the songbooks or whatever during those long services. But we knew something good was happening. I mean, their faces, being they became different. They weren't in their natural man anymore. They were in a spiritual state with God. And it was wondrous to see the things that God did. And I would hear my parents talking. Well, so-and-so got straightened out with the Lord tonight. Isn't that wonderful? They came back and made a repentance. They'd been out of church for years. And they would go on and talk about how that someone got saved. And I didn't really know what that meant. But I knew it was big. And I knew it wouldn't be for long. That there they would be sitting in those pews with the rest of the people. And somehow or another, God had brought another member into that church that would love on me, and I would love them, and I would grow attached to them, and they would be part of that extended family. But there came a day when God's convicting power came on me, and I knew I was separated from that joy that they had, and I wanted it, and I needed it. Folks, that's the work that we do in the church. It's important. It's important. And let's not be persuaded otherwise. Folks, it's the most valuable thing we will ever leave our families, our community, and in the name of God, a legacy in God in our life. It is so important. So let's go on. <laughs> Who shall deliver me from this body of this death? What's he talking about? He's talking about this mortal, carnal body. He has this continual battle with it. Who is going to deliver him from this? Well, I'll tell you who that is. The same one who put that perfecting power in your soul and made you that eternal saved being by his blood is someday going to call us home with him and he's going to change this vile deformed body and he's going to make it in the image of his son a righteous body that shall be able to sustain the joy of the Lord forever. That's what we have promise of. Oh, how Paul rejoiced in that when he could lay his labors down and the battle would no longer be there and the fight of being subject to God and operating his spirit would no longer be the battle of his. But he would be at home in the rapturous arms of his Lord, comforted, comforted like Lazarus. Think of that. Folks, if you don't understand why the old people who've been in the Lord a long time love to sing, as I said last night, about heaven, we're going home. Our labors are over. But until then, we still have work to do for the Lord until that day, right? We still have that. And so we finish. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. That spiritual state that he is in that can do it. But listen to this. But with the flesh, the law of sin. So what was he praising? He was praising that this battle was there between this battle of his spiritual state and for the carnal state that we live in. Why? Because he knew that God used that for his honor and glory. It was for his purpose that we bring this flesh into subjection that the world may see, yes, we are carnal men, but we have been bought with a price and we have a faith in an eternal home that resides in us. And they know it, and they can see it, and they can feel it by the manifestation of His Spirit in our life. Folks, when we walk around in a right mind with God, people know that we're with Him even when we're not feeling it. I've caught people staring at me my whole life, observing me. And I'm like, what are they watching? 
nothing here to look at, but something different that caught their attention. And I never failed where either the Lord opened the opportunity for me to speak to them or they came forward to me and had some reason to talk to me. And I realized when God made those meetings, I like to talk, so it's not hard for me to broach a subject. Brother Ben's been out with me today, and he knows that, you know, and I'll hand him my cards. Hey, if I ever can ever help you, can I do anything for you? Call me. Why? Because I know God works in the circumstances of my life. I've seen it. Some of you have been trying to figure out my age for this week because I've done a lot of things, met a lot of people. Folks, they were all doors that God opened. Everyone I met. Nothing famous about me, nothing spectacular about me. And boy, I fell a lot. I know what Paul's talking about here. But I want to be like Peter. I want to be stumbling toward the Lord, even amidst all my weakness and my failure. And that's the wondrous thing. You don't have to get it all right. You just got to want to get it all right. And if you want to get it all right, he'll deliver you to his purpose and his reason. A lot of us, we have Satan beat us up and he tells us, well, you've made a big mistake and you can never be anything for the Lord. Peter denied the Christ at least three times. I think it was more than three. I can give you reasons for that, but we don't have time for that tonight. And yet God used him mightily. Matter of fact, God addressed him. Peter, do you love me? Because he knew the answer. He knew he could depend on Peter, even with all his mistakes, his overzealous nature. And then he called him on the day of Pentecost. And he presented him before the nation of Israel to declare him. Peter probably felt at that point that everybody knew what a failure he was when Christ was being tried and went to the cross. Definitely the disciples did, but honestly all of Jerusalem did. There were people who called him out when he tried to go into hiding. and He sat with the servants in the, in the court of the Sanhedrin and he saw what was going on and they said, well, aren't you one of them? Didn't you follow them? And he lied several times. It's all recorded in the book of Matthew and John. And yet God said, Peter, deliver my word on the day of Pentecost. And there were thousands saved. Peter was just a fisherman. He didn't have great education. He didn't come from a noble birth, but he loved God. He loved God. God proved to Peter that he was a natural man. I often wondered, in all the places Peter's exposed over and over again in the scripture, why he didn't go crawl under a rock. Because he knew God used that to show the world he was an earthly natural man but he desired and strived and believed that God was turning him into a spiritual man having said that we think of Paul as being a spiritual man the Lord is telling us here in this passage and Paul has been trying to convince us all that he is a natural man he is a natural man but he's striving to be a spiritual the spiritual man that he is following after is Jesus Christ. Folks, that's our spiritual man. He gave his life for us. He gave his blood for us. He stood in our stead. And he's still the spiritual man in our life. But we have to succumb, we have to submit, and we have to trust him. Tonight you say, well, I want to get saved. 
If you're trying to find any other way other than Jesus Christ, if you're trying to find any other way than through him and completely in him, you will fail. You will fail. In Hebrew, and I, I thought I was going to cover a lot more ground tonight than I am, but I'm about to close up with you tonight. And I'm going to tell you why I'm doing that. When God's done with me, I can't add anything more to his message. But it's on you then. It's on you. What will you do with what he has taught you and commanded you tonight? If his spirit is abiding with you, will you be obedient? Many of you heard my testimony. I was shy. I was backward. I couldn't read. I couldn't speak. They had the looks of my parents and my grandparents to decipher what I was saying, even at eight years of age. But I humbled myself. I didn't care who saw me. I needed him. I wanted him so bad. I had a lot of needs in my life. Just like the woman at the well that Jesus approached, she had a lot of need, but she saw her real need was in a Savior. And she cast that aside. For many who wanted healing in the Scripture, they came with faith that Christ could heal them. They just knew they needed him, and they needed him to do the only supernatural thing, the only one in the world could do what they needed. But God gave them so much more. He gave them eternal life because of their faith. Folks, he can give you eternal life. You may not understand a lot of what I'm saying tonight. But if you hear that voice bidding you, follow it, obey it, and God will do more than you can ask or think. So I want to leave you with this understanding tonight. Sixth verse, the 11th chapter of Hebrew, something you Christians have known all your life, heard it over and over. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. What does faith look like? That means you stretch yourself beyond yourself in hope that he will do what he has promised. And the hope that you have in him will be one that you will wait and you will seek and you will desire to set purpose till he fulfills what he has promised. Now, having said that, he's going to strip you. He's going to help you strip yourself of everything that stands between you and him. Some people, it only takes a few minutes. They're so earnest. Others of us, I don't care what age you are, we hold on to self and this world and our understanding and our own mind and our natural man to the point it looks like you're almost going to die. But praise God, when Jesus comes, he brings you to life. And that old man is no longer subject to the law of God, but it is perfected in the law of God in Jesus Christ and the eternal spirit. For without faith it is impossible to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is, listen to this, a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What does that mean? Earnestly or sincerely or simply uh, with no other desire than God. That's sincerity. If you come up here and you're trying to bargain with God and say, I want to hang on to this and I still want to have that and I still want to accomplish this in my life, let me tell you, you have not shed everything yet. You have got to prefer him above all things. Folks, we as God's people, if we want to say we have faith, we've got to shed apart our desire of this world and let it not stand between us and the work of God. In our life. If you want to see a church prosper and grow and be blessed in the Spirit of God and His witness, shed the things of this earthly man, this worldly man, and be the obedient children of God, Amen. following His word and His action in your life. Oh, with that kind of power reigning in us, what can God do? You say, well, that was in the olden days. Folks, 
The Bible tells us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are the same redeemed people that were back there in Jerusalem when Christ called his disciples. We are the same ones he has appointed to do his work in the world. And mighty is God that is in us and greater than he that is in the world. Do we believe that? Oh, a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's what Paul exampled. He was sincerely bidding the work of God. You know, I, I, we talked a little bit today, I think it was Brother Ben, about Paul when he was going to Jerusalem and he chopped in at Corinth and got off there on that peninsula of the Italian Isle. And I don't think he got very far in, but he, I can see him going up the wharf where the ships tied themselves and the brethren coming to meet him that he had labored among. And I can see them, him bidding them and said, I just want to make sure that you carry on the gospel of Jesus Christ in its purity, that you are sound in it because I've got to go to Jerusalem. And it said that they wept on him and they cried because they knew they would never see him again in a fleshly body. And they, oh, how they loved Paul. How they loved what he had suffered to teach them. The example he'd given, the letters he had written them encouraging them to stay in the work of the gospel. Not to be distracted by the world and their wealth and, and the intelligence, the mind and education that the Romans had at that time. And he left them. You know, he could have been like Elijah. He could have said, Lord, I'm dissatisfied with what you've done. I just want to die. I'm just content to call myself a failure. But he was content in the calling and work of God. He knew, and the Lord had already showed him, that when he went from Jerusalem, he would end up in Rome. And that's where his life would end. Folks, are we willing to subject ourselves to the work of God that he can trust us to go further? To see by faith the work he has in your life here at Taylor's Chapel, and as you pray for your pastor, you know, he's a good man. I love him, but he struggles just like you do with these things. He and I talk about the problems in our lives and the things that hinder us and, and our desire to be surrendered to the Lord. His wife, Amy, there too. I don't know what brother God has in store for Brother Ben, but I know this. If we are obedient to him, he'll do marvelous things in us. Amen. They may not make the paper. We may never be famous before the world, but I'll tell you what, we'll be famous to somebody in our little corner of the world because we obeyed God. We obeyed God. Your example lives behind you. It lives before you. It lives after you. It's all around us and our faith of God. God bless you tonight. Brother Ben.